Hey, uh, once again, it's a great privilege to be with you this morning, and particularly if you're visiting Canterbury Gardens, very, very special welcome to you. Uh, during Christmas, uh, we always get visitors who have, uh, haven't been to church for a little while, um, or it's um, something that you're wanting to explore. We're really glad that you made the time to come this morning. Uh, it's definitely a blessing for us as a church family. Uh, this morning, um, if you have your Bibles, if you could turn to uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, please come and grab uh, a Bible from next, right next to the set of flowers here. You'll see a group of Bibles. Just grab one. It's yours. Keep it. If you have never read the Bible before and you're kind of not really sure what I'm talking about, maybe just turn to the person next to you uh, and they'll be able to show you where to head. And also, you, if you have an electronic device, I'm sure you'll be able to find the Gospel of Matthew. So the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, and we're going to pick it up in verse 18. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It doesn't matter what version you have, it's the Spirit of God that makes it come alive. So let's read from God's Word. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with a child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this morning we're going to be talking about you. And so we pray no matter whatever season in life we are in right now, that you would meet with us. For those of us who know you, We pray that you would remind us and refresh us. For those of us who are exploring, reveal yourself to us, we pray. And Jesus, we pray that we'll walk away knowing you more. To a world that desperately needs to know you, to represent you well. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Um, Well, Christmas is here. Obviously, you can see the Christmas lights are set up. We've got the nativity scene in there. That's for photos for later on if you want to do that. Uh, You have seen all the decorations in the street. You probably have heard the Christmas carols as you've been buying your different um, presents for Christmas. And I had the privilege to start that ball rolling in that. I had the privilege to head to my six-year-old's Christmas production. What I mean by production, they're probably more, they got all the kids to sing different variety of Christmas songs in the basketball oval outdoors. Now, basketball oval, I don't think there's such a thing. Basketball court outdoors. Now, it was quite interesting, you know, off, off key singing and, and uh, the music was too loud, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I learned a few things, which I was quite surprised by. And I just wanted to share that with you. Firstly, I learned that Justin Bieber has actually written a Christmas carol. 
It's called mistletoe. We might sing it next week at the kids' program. Um, we, everyone, oh, no, we won't. We won't be doing that because definitely someone will lose their job. Um, the other thing I heard uh, was another song that's very familiar to people, right? Um, particularly, uh, it's the song Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Now, I'm not here going to argue about Santa and if you change the words around it, Satan and all this kind of stuff that you might have grown up in. That's not what I'm here to discuss. I don't know if you've actually heard the words, Santa Claus is Coming to Town. To be honest, it's actually quite scary. My child, my eldest, was singing this song and had actions. He's got a list. He's checking it twice. Who's been naughty and nice? Santa Claus is coming to town. And if I was a kid listening, really listening to those song words, I'd be like, I don't want Santa to come. The other thing was um, quite interesting was more just an observation. In the culture that we live in, often we hear that Christmas and uh, the Christian aspect of it is being pushed out and no one really cares much about Christmas. Now, granted, some parents were there in some sense sort of forced fun um, to uh, support their kids, and you could tell the parents who've been to many productions. Um, but there was this sense, as they were gathering around, there was this joy and happiness, and there was this relief, and particularly in the context of where uh, the school is, there was a lot of tradie uh, guys, all dre- finished work, come back, and they were celebrating in some sense. And I wonder they're celebrating because it's the end of the year. There's also the teachers who also did a a performance. And they sang a song about uh, they're all going on a summer holiday. And they cheered loudly. And I'm sure those of you who are teachers are also yearning for that or those who are married to one. But there was this moment as I looked at the vast sort of crowd crammed in this basketball court, it dawned on me. Do you know what? There would be no point for them to be there listening to their kids singing these carols if Jesus did not actually come to this world. It would be absolutely pointless. There would be no reason. There would be no reason for us to even gather here on a Sunday morning. There would be no reason for us to remember communion. There would be no reason for us to have a Christmas at the beach. It would be absolutely pointless. But this is the reality that Jesus, God himself, came to be with us. This morning, as I've been thinking about the sermon, I've been praying this, that for those of us who know him, one, that you'll be reminded of the wonder and majesty of God with us. And then you will be encouraged that he is still with us. So if you look at verses 18 to 19, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now this story, if you've grown up particularly in the church or in kind of Christian culture, this is very familiar to you. You might have already heard about all of this. But we need to understand the story of Christmas didn't start in Matthew chapter 1. It started... In the dawn of time, when God created the world. See, God created the world and he placed humans to be under his loving care and authority. He had a deep personal relationship with them. To the point that he created the first humans, to be human beings, to be made in his own image is the language. He created mankind to be in relationship, was intimate relationship. 
not some sort of distant relationship, but a God that is so far away. But things went wrong when the enemy, Satan, comes into the world, tempts the first humans by lying to them and saying, you do not need a God to be over you. You can be your own God. You can live under your own authority. The first humans give in to that lie. But there's this wonderful, glorious picture of God and His character even in that moment. There's a verse up here on the screen. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. And they, that is the first humans, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. You have this wonderful, glorious picture showing the relationship that mankind had with God, a personal relationship, His presence there actively. And He comes. Even when they've sinned, His presence is there with them. And He's walking in that garden. God enters and His presence is there. Later on in the same chapter, God is judging and He passes judgment because of their rebellion and their sin. But God in His grace promises something that would happen. Something that would happen later on. Something that in some sense is a a reminder and a call that there is a Christmas coming. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God speaks to Satan and says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. God proclaims and declares that there is one that will come, a seed, someone who will come and rectify this will make this right. And so throughout all of the Bible history is this picture of a God of the universe, the creator of the universe in relationship with mankind. And that's displayed in particular with one particular person, both Abraham, and then show, uh, follows through with a group of people, a nation, nation of Israel. And God has a wonderful relationship with them, but he also intervenes into their life and rescues them when they're in slavery. And to have relationship with them, he actually sets some laws and commands. There's this wonderful line as he's proclaiming this law and commands. In Leviticus chapter 26, verse 11 to 13, God says, I'll make my dwelling among you. My soul shall not abhor you. And I will what? Walk among you. And will be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. I've broken the bars of your yoke and made you to walk erect. God says to them, this is the this is the clause that you keep my commandments, you follow them. There is wonderful reality that will walk amongst you. It's a personal relationship, God. And he says, don't be slaves again. I've freed you. You will walk erect, upright. 
And then that story of God and his presence being there is continually shown throughout the Bible. There's a term in the Bible talking about God comes in tabernacle, dwelt amongst us. It's just depicted in this wonderful line called the Shekinah glory, God's real presence. He would show up as a pillar of cloud or as fire. His presence was there. In the Exodus, you read about it and you see that his presence comes over the tabernacle, the most holiest of places where you can approach God. And once again, later on, as the first physical temple is built and it's dedicated, his presence comes as in the tabernacle. But as is the story of all mankind, they continue to reject God's authority, continue to give in to sin and want to be following that. And God's presence is gone. In the sense of his real presence for the nation of Israel. But there's this constant line for God that he started in Genesis all the way through. There is one coming. There is one coming. The promised one, the king. And there's one story in the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, if you get a chance, if you're looking through Christmas stuff, read a bit of Isaiah. It really sets the scene. And particularly in the Gospel of Matthew, there's constant um, um, reminders of Isaiah. So in the book of Isaiah, the Israel nation are split into two, the north and the south. The north are taken captive. The south are given into idol worship and sin. But ultimately what they're really saying is that we're not under this authority of God. We want to give in to our own desires and God's judgment is real. He talked about it already. If you don't follow my laws and commands, this is what will happen to you. What's going on is that they're separated from his presence. They're not also no longer in a sense seeking his presence, but they start crying out. They start lamenting. In Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, these words Come out loud. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and should call his name Emmanuel. Now, most of the people probably didn't think, go, oh, that must be Jesus. But there's this promise by God there is one that will come, the one who is called Emmanuel. It's a wonderful line of knowing that God is with us. Comforting words for those who are under captivity. By that time, and we fast forward to this passage in Matthew. The people of Israel once again are in captivity. They are under Roman rule. They're waiting for a physical rescuer, a king. And Matthew sets the scene. In Matthew chapter 1, my guess is when there are things like Matthew chapter 1 and goes through a list of names, most of us will kind of just skip and go to Matthew 18 like I've done today. But what it is, Matthew chapter 1, is, it's, like, it's like Matthew has gone to Ancestry.com and typed in Jesus. And it gives, him, gives the, the physical, family, ancestry line of Jesus. But see, much more than that, what you see is a group of people and individuals of God's constant work and weaving. It's displaying God's salvation plan about the one who is promised, 
who has always been promised, the one who is the only one who can truly sort out and fix this sin problem. Because the God of the universe is a God who keeps his promises. He always has and always will. This God who once walked in the garden, pursuing a rebellious couple, the God who comes and continues to pursue a rebellious nation and his presence, comes both in pillar and fire and other ways in the tabernacle, now decides to come through his son, Jesus Christ. And how does he choose to come? He comes to be born not to a queen or a king. Actually, not even to be born after one is married. But he's born to this young lady, and most people would say teenagers, a teenager. She's pregnant, and she's legally pledged to this guy called Joseph. And the only way this happens is a miraculous work. It's God's work through the Holy Spirit. It is done by God. This is how God of the universe chooses to be with us. It's been quite interesting over the last few years, and I think partly to do with movie technology, the amount of superhero movies that are coming out. And you have, you know, whether if you're a DC fan, a Marvel fan, whatever, either way, you have this picture. You have the picture of, you know, there's those who have superhuman strength for some things happen to their body and they become superhuman. And there are these kind of godlike beings. And there's this interweaving with Greek mythology and so on coming into this world. These Greek kind of gods coming and entering into this world. It's very rare to hear the story of one that comes kind of with nothing. They already have their powers with them. And Superman, who's what I think is the greatest hero around, is born and he already has superhuman strength. But... That is the world that we live in. But see, the God of the story, the God of the Bible does everything upside down, unlike what we would think he ought to do. He enters to choose into this universe, this creation, in the most miraculous and profound way, humbly, rather than through just some sort of royalty. He is of royal bloodline, yet he's born to a young teenage girl that is engaged to a carpenter. Now, I don't know what your response would be if you were in the shoes of someone like Joseph. I mean, he's a man who is now betrothed. It's been arranged to marry this girl. And the, pro- the one that you've been promised to, the one you're promised to is that yeah, you find out that she's pregnant. Joseph knows. They haven't been to the honeymoon. They know. Something's not quite right. She's pregnant. But notice what Matthew says in the verses. He makes it clear. How is this possible? He mentions this twice through the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not sure if Joseph didn't really know then or wasn't really fully revealed, but the passage would say it's revealed to him later. And in some sense, you can't blame him, particularly in that culture. There's a lot of shame behind all of that. And he has actually a right as a Jewish person to divorce, and he wants to do that. He could actually make it quite a bit of a spectacle. By that time, there's all these kind of rules and regulations. He can make it quite a bit of a spectacle. But rather, he doesn't go down that track. Why? 
notice how he's described. In verse 19, And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. The language that's describing Joseph as a just man is to say that he's a man of religious, um, following all the religious rules that are required of him. He's a good, good, Bible-believing Jewish guy. He knows the rules and regulations. He's a good bloke and he wants to do what is right. He's a just man. That's the language. But he doesn't want to disgrace this young girl or bring shame to him. So he, he chooses to do it quietly, not publicly. But just as Matthew has been showing, from Matthew 1, God's plans cannot be thwarted. God's plan has always been involved in this, and that includes Joseph. And God reveals the plan to Joseph in a dream. In verse 20, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. For she will bear a son, and and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. In that moment, the angel uses a particular line, calls Joseph not like, hey, Joseph. He says, Joseph, son of David. It's reminding Joseph, it's his line, it's his family line. He's part of the royal family line. King David. And he says, take her as your wife. Because what's happened? Who is in her womb? Done by God through the Holy Spirit. It's God's work. And the people of Israel are waiting for a political leader to come and rescue. But then God shows to Joseph the ultimate purpose of the Messiah. He's not there to liberate them from the Roman Empire. He's actually there to rescue them and liberate them from the greatest need of all. Because that is their sin, which has separated them from the presence of a holy God. That's why the Messiah has come. Now, as much as the nation of Israel, I'm sure there were people suffering under this occupation, and whether if they were even suffering back in the day of the Babylonian Empire, throughout different empires that took over, there's a deeper suffering going on, because this deeper suffering is the sin that separates them from a holy God. One caused by the first actions of the humans, of Adam and Eve. And like a disease, has continued to corrupt everything, even today. But remember how Joseph is described? He's described as what? A just man. A just man. God enters into this world through Jesus Christ. In Emmanuel, the God who, and the first sinners, when they sin, he walked in the garden, once again enters through his son, Emmanuel, Jesus Christ. But notice how Joseph is described, he's a just man. So friends, I don't know if you realize this, particularly in our Australian culture, I think more than anything, there are many friends of yours and friends of mine, family members even, Work colleagues who in many ways are like Joseph 
They think they're all right. They haven't done anything too wrong. They're just. They're fine. But see, but next to a holy God, they're far from fine. They are not just. It's like saying the people who might think that what makes you right or just with God is all these kind of religious acts that you do. It's like saying if you go to a Christian school or born in a Christian family, somehow that makes you right with a holy God. Because see, if that is true, if those religious acts are what make you right with a just and a holy God, if that makes you just, there is no point in Jesus coming. Why would Jesus need to come? There is no point. See, Jesus came. There is a reason. See, even Jesus and his very name is Jehovah is salvation. This means that there's a need for a savior, a savior that only God can provide because there's only God himself can do it because he is the rescuer. Because they're the deepest of all things are going and they are captive by their sin. Out of this lineage of heritage of King David would come this Messiah, God with us, Emmanuel. There are many who are entangled in sin, even today. And for those of you who are exploring the Christian faith and you think that the Christian faith is some sort of just emotional crutch that you kind of cling on to, I want you to know that's not what it's about. Because the gospel, the story of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, is a reminder that there is nothing in me or outside of me or in you or outside of you that can actually, in a sense, save you and make you right with a holy God. It has to come through the rescuer. It has to come through the Emmanuel. It's not our religious things that make us right with a holy God. But if it's volunteering at a Christmas lunch or preaching a sermon on Christmas, that does not make me right with a holy God. There's only one who can. The one who was born to rescue. The one who came for one purpose, to rescue people from their sin. The one who is Emmanuel, God with us. And in verse 22, you have this reminder And all this took place to fulfill what? The Lord had spoken by the prophet. And in verse 23, we have this quote again from Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. All of this is God's grand plan. From the day dot, his beginning, he was pursuing this. It's like in the moment when you see those sort of drone footage, you know, where someone's sort of over, hovering maybe over our property and they expand out and you get this grand view. This is what you've got in this passage of Isaiah. It's like in a, in a movie plot. Back in 1999, there was a movie called The Sixth Sense. How many of you watched that? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, some of you. It's okay, some of you don't want to admit to that. But there's this line. It's a pretty creepy line. There's this kid who says to one of the characters, I see dead people. And at first, when you see that, you go, that's a creepy kid. But as the movie expands, and one of the main characters, spoiler alert, um, realizes he's actually dead, that line all of a sudden makes sense. It changes the whole view of the movie. In this moment, 
all of Bible, the whole of both the Old, particularly the Old Testament, and moving into the New Testament, is reminded the Bible is pointing to this Messiah, this Jesus, God's rescue plan. He is the one who is Emmanuel, who enters into the world to be the one to be with us. The one who will save. He's not there to set up a political kingdom or a Christian world. He's the one who enters to rescue people from their sin. This is the one who comes. This is the Emmanuel. No longer is Emmanuel God, in a sense, arriving in a pillar of fire or in the tabernacle. He personally intervenes into this world to come and be with us. Now, Christian friends, you have heard this story. You know, I'm sure, the story of Christmas really well. What happens in your heart when you hear this again? What do you hear when you hear God with us? I think sometimes what happens is as Christians particularly, when we hear these stories, it becomes kind of just information. That's nice. God with us. It's a good thought. It's like every Christmas Eve, you know, you watch it on TV and they sing all those carols at the Sydney Meyer Music Bowl. It's wonderful. It's great. But many of them don't know Jesus and they're belting out these tunes and they have no clue. I think sometimes that happens to our own hearts when we ponder on the wonder and majesty of Emmanuel, God with us. Has this happened to your heart? Has that happened to your heart? Christian friends, our sin was so great. But rather than leaving us God continues to intervene in human history. And then he shows that gloriously and beautifully by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to come for the purpose to save people from their sins. This is God with us. The one who has always existed. The one who created mankind in his own image is born to a young teenage girl and a carpenter to come and save them and to save us. This is the wonder and beauty of our great God, Emmanuel, God with us. This Emmanuel, this Jesus, would continue to come on to be born, to live in this world perfectly, humbly, He is the one who obeyed as was expected. When he was tempted, he did not give in to sin. He would perfectly live, obeying his Father to the point of death, to die on the cross, to pay for your sin and my sin. And because of who he is, that he is God, he was raised again on the third day. But then he calls his disciples and anyone who puts their faith and trust in him. And he says this to them. In Matthew chapter 28, in verses 18 to 20, famous words that Jesus said about the Great Commission, says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
Emmanuel comes into this world to be with us, but then he promises, because of what he's done, what he's achieved, it is finished. For anyone who puts faith and trust in him, he will come and indwell through his spirit. And he is then calling everyone to be sent out, given with this mandate. But the promise that he's always with you is not just momentary anymore. It's not just at the tabernacle. It's not through a fire or cloud. It's not through certain people. Always, anyone who has faith in him, Christ is with you. This is the wonderful truth of now. Emmanuel is still with us. Emmanuel is still with us. And this God, this Savior, has now sent us out under his loving authority because he has all authority to go and proclaim this wonderful truth to a world that desperately needs it, to a world that says, who are caught up in their sin, the one who needs rescue from their sin. And Jesus promises you and I, who have faith in him, is always with you. But there's also this reality, he's coming back again. And when he comes back, he's not going to be born to a teenage girl. He will come as the risen king, glorious. That has both ramifications, eternal ramifications. This is Emmanuel, the God who is still with us. There are many in this world who have still not heard the gospel. The reason why we do Christmas at the beach is in the hope that people will respond to the gospel. The reason why God has called you to be a parent is so that you can minister to your kids about the gospel. The reason why you are at your workplace is to represent this Savior. This is why you are here in this world. This is what God has called you to. Because this Emmanuel is still with us. But friends, do you still believe this though? Do you still believe that Jesus is still with you? I don't know if you saw the events of this week that happened in our nation, in our state. Sometimes I hear comments that God is gone, God is finished, God is left. Or maybe in your own personal life you're feeling a sense of despondency. Jesus' words are true. He is still with you if you have faith and trust in him. And Jesus' goal is not to build a Christian nation. His goal is to save people from their sin, to bring them into their kingdom. And you know who he's chosen to represent that truth? Look around you. You. You if you have faith in him. He chooses you, me, and us corporately to go and proclaim, to proclaim the same truth to a world that desperately needs it. We had two couples this morning sharing about how they are being called to go and do what God has called them to do. Now, I know they wouldn't want to say, oh, you know, look at us. But friends, this is the reality. This is why they're doing what they do because there are many in our world that don't know this truth yet. But there's a Savior who came into this world, who entered this world 
to rescue many who are enslaved. And that hasn't changed today. So you and I have been placed in our state, in our nation, in this time of history to represent him well. To proclaim that there is a God who wants to come and enter their lives and to be with them constantly. This is Emmanuel who is still with us. So this Christmas, in the midst of shopping, in the midst of pulling your hair out, making sure the turkeys cook right, and whatever else you might be cooking, stop and reflect on the one who is Emmanuel, who came to be with you and I, and now has sent you out to proclaim this. Maybe this Christmas, think of one person that you can share this with, at your workplace, in your home, who this Emmanuel is. And this morning, we're going to sing a song. As the music team comes up, it describes who Jesus is talks about his characteristics. Friends, can we sing this with great joy? For those of us who know Jesus, we must sing this with great joy. And for those of you who are exploring the Christian faith, please don't let this be another Sunday. I want you to know there's nothing that you can do to make you just with God. There is only one that has done it. And he's asking you to respond to him in faith. Let him invade your life. Let him invade your space. And then he wants you to join in his mission to go and tell others of this Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, who is still with us for those who have faith and trust in him. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the wonderful truth of you, our great King, who came into this world to rescue to rescue us from our sin. But we thank you that it didn't end there, that now you've sent us out to be your ambassadors, to proclaim that Christ can be with you and with us as we put our faith and trust in him. Please help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.